Here is your financial expert and master mindset coach, Janae Cordy. Hi, everyone, and welcome. Um, I'm still under the weather, as you can tell by my voice. I thought the past weekend and Cinco de Mayo festivities would cure me, but sadly, they did not. They actually may have even made me worse, which is just so shocking. (laughs) So today's topic is a very interesting one indeed that I believe will be quite beneficial to those who are listening. And this has to do with opening the doors to the vault of underwriting which is basically just assessing the risk of applicants and then approving or denying the loan application. Underwriters oftentimes get a bad rap for being the bad guys of a financial institution. Why is this, you ask? Well, because they have to say no sometimes when the risk versus reward of a loan application doesn't balance out accordingly. And they also are then legally required to give you, as the loan applicant, the reasoning behind a denial or a no to a loan, which doesn't always feel good to hear, now does it? So in order to do their jobs effectively, they do have to say no to lending out money at times, and then they also have to follow that up with, um, shall we say, a little bit of tough love on the reasoning of why they in fact said no. Ouch, right? And since most people need the money for a particular reason that they are applying for, this makes it even tougher love because the applicant is often then disappointed or even downright angry that they're not getting what they want, right? So who gets the wrath then? Well, usually the whole thing is just so easily blamed on the mean old underwriter or banker for squashing your ever-loving dreams. How dare he or she? They just don't understand. How could they? And I am not saying at all that underwriters get it 100% right 100% of the time either. They are human beings just like you and I, and they are working in a judgment business. So it absolutely does happen where they don't 100% understand a situation or an application, and then those particular instances should be brought back to their attention or escalated for a second look. But what also must happen, though, is a little something called self-accountability from the applicant. And don't hurt the messenger here, because I know people don't like to hear that they had anything at all to do with their loan application being denied or counteroffered. It is much easier and, well, gratifying to just blame it on the bad guy underwriter or the banker instead. After all, they don't know a thing anyway, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I can hear you now. I've been in the business way too long not to hear you. So I am first of all acknowledging that sometimes, and I do mean sometimes, the underwriter's decision may be a little off and need correcting. If you honestly believe this, you should get clarification and then possibly even escalate your loan application to another set of eyes and ears. But before you do that so quickly, just hold your role for a second and hear me out here. Financial institutions are legally required to provide you the reasons for your loan application denial. 
And even if a financial institution counteroffers on your application, which just means that they didn't give you exactly what you applied for, but approved you for something else instead, examples of counteroffers are if they approved you for a lesser amount, or different loan terms than you applied for, or they end up approving you with collateral on your loan instead of without collateral. But even if a financial institution counteroffers, they must still legally disclose why they didn't approve your original request. So after the disappointment simmers down on the teapot, pause for a moment and reflect on these questions. Did you actually listen to the reasons for the denial or the counteroffer and consider the validity of them? Did you reflect on those reasons before just reacting and possibly blaming the bad guys at the bank or the other financial institution? What I'm basically asking here is if there is actually truth to the reasons that were given. And if there is, that is okay. Don't freak out. Because today we are going to talk about loan applications and what risk variables on an application give financial institutions the most heartache so that you can then use this information to improve in these areas if you are lacking and then start building up your financial arsenal because possessing the ability to borrow money is most definitely a part of a person's financial arsenal. Let me be clear about that. Remember when we talked in the prior podcast, Debt Slayer? Not all debt is considered equal and not all debt is inherently bad. And having access to money when you need it even if you must borrow it from a financial institution and then pay it back, is incredibly important to your overall financial well-being. I think we can probably all agree on that. If you've ever needed to borrow money from a financial institution to do things like buy your home or purchase your car to get to and from work, etc., you will understand the accuracy of that statement. The ability to get loans is important in this country. So knowledge is power. So we're going to talk about the different risk variables that financial institutions and underwriting systems and people look at to analyze the overall risk of a loan application to then ultimately make the decision of yay or nay. So number one is your credit report. I'm sorry guys, but there is just no getting around this one. Financial institutions look heavily at your credit report because your credit report gives them a history of how you have paid or have not paid back other financial institutions and people who have lent you money in the past. It also gives lenders an in-depth look at your existing debt load and how active or inactive you've been with your financial activity. So the credit report is heavily analyzed to determine what's going on with you and your current finances, along with what you've done in the past financially. Obviously, underwriters are not going to want to see unpaid loans, collections, bankruptcies, delinquencies, current past due loans, or any other judgments. These are going to be red flags to a financial institution. But this doesn't mean you have to be perfect or flawless, though. That's the good news. It just means they're going to be looking at items like these in detail to try to figure out what happened and then to determine if you are a good risk to the organization that they work for. You know, AKA their employer who signs their paychecks. (laughs) So this is what they are paid to do, is to analyze the risk. So when they see items which throw up flags, 
they're going to want to understand them so they can make the best decision. So some items are not going to have as much negative attention or weight to a lender as much as others. For example, an older medical collection may not throw up hardly any red flag if you have paid all of your other lenders. It is commonly understood that the healthcare world can be insane and that bills are unexpected and sometimes things slip between the cracks. But this doesn't mean I'm advising you not to pay your medical bills, though. I'm definitely advising you to pay them or to work out a payment plan, which is often at 0%, so that they don't end up on your credit report at all. But what I'm also saying is that smaller, older infractions may not be as much of a concern. Another thing to be mindful of is when it comes to the risk analysis of your credit report is that underwriters and financial institutions are typically going to be looking at the alike credit in relation to your type of loan application. So for example, if you are applying for a car loan and maybe you've had some past payment issues with another credit card but have always paid your car loans on time, then you have a much higher probability of getting approved for that car loan application because your history has shown that you pay that kind of debt back well. Makes sense, right? And everyone can listen to the prior podcast, Mind Your Credit, for in-depth and detailed information on your credit report and then how you can enhance your credit score. This will help you tremendously if you need some help or improvement in this area. But as a general rule, the more history you have of paying lenders back and the less currently active you are according to your credit report, the better odds you will have of getting your loan approved. So second on the list, I'm sure you've all heard of debt ratios by now, but let's dive into this category so that it's more clearly understood. There are many kinds of ratios which may be calculated on your loan application depending on what you're applying for and who you are applying with. Some debt ratios calculate things like your statistical likelihood to file bankruptcy based on your existing debt load from your credit report while others calculate how much a payment is in relation to your overall income so that it's not too high of a percentage. Have you ever heard the term of being house poor or car poor? Well, this just means that you might have a nice house or a car, but the large payment is way too high for your income and is actually causing you to be poor and not be able to afford the other requirements in your life, which can then have a snowball effect on your finances. So some ratios try to prevent scenarios like this from happening. The most commonly used ratio and what most are familiar with is called the debt to income ratio or DTI. Put simply, this ratio helps the lender to determine if you can afford all of your existing debt plus the new payment on the loan which you are applying to obtain. So this ratio is most often calculated as what the ratio will be if your loan application were to be approved. So if you are paying off existing debt, like for example a debt consolidation loan, the payments won't be duplicated. The DTI will be calculated using the new payment of the debt consolidation loan and then the existing payments on the debt you're paying off will be removed from the equation. So there's no double dipping, which is good because that's gross. <laughs> So the formula for this calculation of DTI is taking all of your existing payments on your credit plus the new payment on the loan application 
and then dividing that into your monthly income. So if your DTI is considered to be high, then you will most likely not be approved for the loan because it was determined that your payments were too high in relation to your monthly income. In other words, you can't afford the loan. The normal range for DTI really depends on the lender and the type of loan you are applying for. But most financial institutions, maximum DTI runs in the 43 to 50% range, meaning that your payments can't take up more than 43 to 50% of your monthly income. Some financial institutions will go higher than this range, but they will want a good reason to do so. An example of a good reason could be that you have amazing credit and you also have collateral on the loan. So even though it might not be fun to hear that your DTI is too high to get a loan, please take notice if you are told this. Lenders do not want to set you up for failure. They want you to pay back the loan. So if they think you are living outside of your means and your payments and debt are getting too high for your income, please take a good look at this possibility yourself. And then listen to the prior podcast, Budget Doesn't Have to Be a B-Word, for advice on how to balance your budget if need be. And if you do need to, do so right away to avoid future financial pitfalls and problems. So number three is your employment. Okay, so it goes without saying that lenders want to know that you have a source of income available to pay back the loan you're applying to get, right? So they're going to be looking at your employment and your employment history. And the more stable you are in this area, the better. But this doesn't mean you must work for the same company for a decade. No, they are looking more for stability of an income stream. So large or frequent lapses of employment or income will be frowned upon. If you don't have the consistency of a steady income stream, a lender may look for other ways to qualify you though for a loan such as by looking at your assets to determine if you have the money set aside to still be able to pay back the loan. But if you don't have consistent income and you don't have any assets to fall back on, this can cause a big concern for a lender because they may question how you will be able to pay the loan back consistently on a month-to-month basis. Having a strong credit history where you've proven that you've managed to pay everyone back in the past with your current income and employment history can also help overcome this concern in some circumstances. Okay, so the last major risk variable I'm going to discuss is loan to value, or LTV. So this is concerning the collateral that you have on a loan and the corresponding loan to value of that collateral, or the LTV. The formula for calculating LTV is just the loan amount, or amounts, divided by the determined value of the collateral that you're putting up on the loan. If you have no collateral to put up, such as you don't have a home, property, vehicle, motorcycle, etc., then your loan application is considered unsecured and then will naturally go through a different underwriting process because there is no collateral to fall back on if you don't pay. But if you're applying for an example such as a car loan or a mortgage loan, then these types of loans will be secured by the collateral of the car or the piece of property. Meaning the lender can take that car or property if you don't pay your loan and then sell it to get their money back. So collateral on a loan makes it easier to be approved typically because there is a plan B in place for the lender to get their money back. 
And the lower the loan to value on the collateral, the better. Because the lower the amount you have borrowed against the collateral securing a loan, then the more likely the lender can sell that collateral down the road to, again, get their money back. <laughs> Lenders are in the business of lending money to get that money back with interest. This is considered plan A. They honestly don't want to take your stuff and then have to sell any of it to get their money back. But they will. Oh, yes, they will. <laughs> Wouldn't you? So giving them the comfort of a good plan B in the event of non-payment or otherwise known as failure of plan A by having a low loan to value on your collateral will only help your odds of approval. Okay, so there could be other variables as well, which I haven't discussed here, but I really just wanted to hit on what I believe the four most important variables are to the majority of lenders. So since we are discussing ways to possibly improve your ability to borrow money, I'm going to end with a quote which I feel is applicable. Helen Keller said, Be happy with what you have while working for what you want. If you do come to the realization that you need to improve your ability to borrow money, it probably isn't going to be an overnight process to get you back on track. It may take time, and that's okay. But also be grateful with what you have right now because you can always find something to be grateful for in your life, right? And then just start working for what you want to improve. You've got it. So please subscribe and rate. I really appreciate it as always. And you can also find my blog and services on mindyourmoneycoach.com. Until next time, everyone, have a wonderful week full of blue skies and sunshine.